Welcome to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and I'm ready to go. I just went to Quench It to get my Diet Coke with coconut and fresh lime. Quench It is my local soda shop of choice, and I've got a little caffeine in my system, and I've got a lot of stories to tell. Lots of stories to tell, because today we are talking about Mormon in-laws, toxic Mormon in-laws specifically, and My first question for all of you is, are you okay? And I already know the answer. The answer is no, because these stories are really crazy. And some of y'all are dealing with in-laws that I cannot even fathom having to deal with. So we have, per usual, lots to get into. Before we jump into the in-law horror stories, I'm trying to think if there's any campfire chat catch-up items that we need to go over today. I did want to say last week's episode was so fun, and it's been really fun getting the feedback from that episode and having good combos in the DMs. We've gotten lots of good underwear recommendations for Bentley. If you listened last week, you know what I'm talking about, so thank you for that. Bentley's birthday is coming up on the 19th, so I'm going to be buying him some underwear options, and we'll see if he can finally find something he likes. But I thought that episode was really fun because as I listened back to it, both Bentley and I listened back, and I realized how much of the things that we said in that episode are things I would have never, ever, ever said on the podcast when I started seven months ago. And it was really cool to realize how little Bentley and I cared about whoever was listening like the judgments they might make or you know what if so and so was listening what will they think of that it just felt like a cool kind of milestone from the episode that Bentley and I did way back when the podcast started just realizing there's a lot less filtering and censoring we feel like we have to do for ourselves and realizing that we have done a lot of work and made a lot of progress in showing up authentically and vulnerably and just feeling really good about it and not feeling nervous. And so that was kind of a fun little, I don't know, reminder, milestone, call it what you will. And if we've gotten that unhinged in seven months, just think, just think of all the possibilities to come. (laughs) You know, I've always really been an open book you who are listening are probably like, yeah, no shit, Haley. (laughs) But I like sharing things. I don't really get that nervous about it. But the Mormon stuff, the post-Mormon stuff was always a hurdle. And now I'm past that. And I am just oversharing my little heart out. And I love it. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, let's talk about toxic Mormon in-laws. Before I jump into the stories, I will give a little lay of the land about my own in-law situation. And luckily, I don't have any horror stories to tell, which is nice because I don't get the luxury of being anonymous like those of you who wrote in. My in-laws with the post-Mormon, Mormon faith transition stuff have been incredibly cool. I feel like my in-laws, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, have been really practiced in just kind of letting their kids do their own thing. Bentley was, out of five siblings, the fourth to leave the church. So he has one sibling in the church, but the rest of them are out and left before Bentley. So in his family, we kind of felt like there was a way paved for us to be post-Mormons, and his parents were kind of adjusted to that idea that some of their children would leave the church because they already had. And I think for Bentley, I won't speak too much to his experience, but he definitely had not even that his parents handled anything poorly, but he had obviously, I think, a lot more at stake in telling his parents he had left the church. For me, with his parents, I always just knew they would respect my journey and treat me the same. And that has been my experience, which is very, very fortunate. My mother-in-law often watches our girls for date night once a week, and I'm always really leaning into my hoe era for date nights especially and every week she comes over and I'm dressed up wearing usually something 
a tank top and a crop top and a mini skirt, whatever. And she always is like, Haley, you look so cute. I love your outfit. She's just really kind and supportive and loving and just has never made me feel less than for leaving the church, which I appreciate so, so, so much. One thing I wanted to mention is Bentley and I had a really cool moment probably a couple of years ago when we didn't plan it this way, but we ended up at lunch with his siblings who had left the church before us. And we all just were at lunch and talking and obviously we're kind of talking about Mormon stuff. And it was this really interesting moment where I almost feel like I saw them for the first time. And it was a really important moment of reflection to realize that even though I had good relationships with these siblings before we left the church, I kind of realized I had still been otherizing them and that they didn't feel completely safe to be their whole selves around me. And obviously that's a little bit sad to come to that realization, but I was only able to realize that because I saw how it had changed now that Bentley and I we're also out of the church. And I don't mean to say you can't have authentic relationships with people who, you know, believe different things or are in the church and you're not in the church or vice versa. But I think for whatever reason with his family dynamic, that was something that had kind of been going on for me. And it just felt really special to be able to see them, all of them, and recognize that I was now a safer place for them and kind of to hear what it was like for them to be post-Mormon so much earlier on and what that had felt like and just hearing their perspectives was really special to me. And I'm really grateful to them. I'm grateful to all of Bentley's siblings, his parents. They've all just been really lovely. And I don't mean to rub that in before I read <laughs> these really uh, kind of terrible in-law stories. But I do think that there are, I don't know, I do think that there obviously are different family dynamics and different families handle this faith transition mixed faith dynamic very, very, very differently. It feels lucky to have in-laws who have been able to handle it with minimal, if any, fallout. Something interesting with these stories I was thinking about as I was reading through is I think it'd be easy for an active believing member to listen to these stories and say, well, those are just toxic people right? These in-laws are just going to be toxic regardless. It's not necessarily the Mormon thing. Yes, maybe there's something to that. I think that faith transitions, mixed faith dynamics have a way of really magnifying or exacerbating dysfunction that probably already exists. And I think there's a lot of that that happens. I think it would ignore, however, the full picture to not acknowledge that church doctrines and teachings can easily be interpreted if they are not just straightforwardly this way as encouraging or emboldening people who are Mormon to cross boundaries with their children and their uh, children-in-law to shame and judge and just act inappropriately. I think you could easily find certain talks and certain Enzyme articles, what have you, that you can see why certain people are reading these things or ingesting these things and then it's making them act really just in bad ways towards their own family and their own in-laws. And so I guess I'm just saying I think it's a both and. Obviously, I think there are Mormon in-laws who handle things really well and do great with mixed faith dynamics, but I do think that there are Mormon teachings that really kind of create or at least, at the very least, magnify these unhealthy, really, really unhealthy dynamics. So I just wanted to say that up front. Again, I think with these different scenarios, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about that, but let's dive in, shall we? If you're in your car, make sure your seatbelt's on. Buckle up. Your seatbelt should be on already. But yeah, we're about to get into it. Fair warning. 
Okay, story number one. When Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I posted the women belong in all places where decisions are being made quote on my Instagram story. My father-in-law DM'd me respectfully disagree one word priesthood. Um, this one is so weird because what do you expect all government leaders to have the priesthood because they don't. And so if you are using the priesthood as a reason to be just very blatantly misogynistic about women in government, like this guy is just off in a lot of ways. Also, I cannot imagine a father-in-law DMing on Instagram. Like what? This is your this is your place to like make a point about how misogynistic you are. Ugh. A lot of these get kind of political. Sorry, but well, not sorry, because a lot of these things shouldn't even be quote political. And I kind of hate that as an excuse to not like talk about things like human rights and feminism. But yeah, this father-in-law doesn't sound like a great time. Okay, next one. My mom looked at my never mow brother-in-law one day and said, what makes you a good person since you don't go to church? She genuinely didn't think anyone could be good without the church. Oof. The thing that's particularly crazy about something like this is not only that people think this shit that is so clearly, for all the reasons we know, irrational and deeply wrong, but that they're willing to say it to an in-law. That will never cease to blow my mind. I really feel like in-law relationships, and maybe this is a hot take, I don't know. I really don't think in-laws obviously need to be saying this type of thing to their the married ins in their families. But I also just don't think in-laws necessarily should be dealing with stuff on this level at all. Like I was thinking about this when Bentley told his parents that we had left the church. I said, I feel like that should be a conversation that you have with your parents. And when I told my parents, I told them individually. I don't know, for whatever reason, for our dynamic, I just didn't think I needed to have that conversation with my in-laws, nor did I feel like Bentley needed to have that conversation with my parents and he felt the same. I don't know. Maybe people feel differently about that. But for me, I just feel like those topics are complicated and tender enough that sometimes I just feel like just have the actual blood relative have the conversation. I just don't think that you always need to be the one having those conversations with in-laws. There's just, it's a different dynamic. And that's how Bentley and I have sort of navigated that stuff. And honestly, I feel like it's kept like healthier boundaries around our in-law relationships. I don't know. But this mom is crazy. And also like, do you expect your own kids to come over with their spouses if you say this kind of stuff to their spouses? I would be like, oh, sorry, mom. We're never coming over again unless you apologize and don't say stuff like that anymore. Okay. When my daughter first had her baby, she was drinking raspberry leaf tea to help her milk come in. Her mother-in-law freaked out because she was drinking tea. She went behind my daughter's back and told my daughter's husband that she was worried for their marriage because of the tea. She also constantly got on her about not wearing her garments post-baby. Happy to report my daughter is drinking whatever she wants and hasn't worn garments for three years. She told her mother-in-law to keep it to herself. Hell yeah. You know how I feel about boundaries. If in-laws are trying to say stuff to you that you don't want to hear, tell them not to. And if they keep doing it, then they will have to suffer consequences, aka you will not be obliged. You shouldn't be obliged anyway, but don't feel like you have to have a relationship with an in-law just because they're your in-laws. Some people need some consequences for their crazy actions, in my opinion. Also, isn't raspberry leaf tea technically herbal tea? I feel like that should be okay, even if you're Mormon. In-law stuff, mother-in-law stuff particularly, can get very, very tricky when grandkids come into the picture. And this poor woman just gave birth and was just doing what she wanted to do. And if anybody was trying to dictate how I lived my life, freshly postpartum, who's to say what I would have done? Because that is a very vulnerable time, as is, and is certainly not the time to be worrying about raspberry leaf tea. Okay, next story. 
I'm black and my husband is white from Sweden. His parents are first generation in America. When we started dating, his family would randomly talk to him about the importance of their heritage very frequently, more than he had ever heard in his upbringing. We dated for three years before we got engaged and they sat us down and told us about how pure their bloodline was, meaning white AF, and informed us how, quote, black skin was the Lamanite curse. Can you imagine? I was 19, and they had known me for four years prior. They shared how they were afraid how this marriage was going to affect them in the celestial kingdom. This conversation was a huge shelf breaker for the both of us and actually caused us to leave the family for a long time. This is so awful. I'm so sorry that this person experienced this kind of racism in the name of Mormonism. Just pure racism that is being justified and, dare I say, fueled by Mormon theology. And that's really, really shitty. And I'm so sorry. How awful. Good for you for stepping away from the family. Hopefully they've apologized and things have gotten better. But this is bad bad, bad. This story kind of brings up that dichotomy I was speaking to of like, well, people are just racist, right? So there are Mormons who are not racist and there are Mormons who are. Sure, fair. That's true. There's obviously racist people who are not Mormon. They are not mutually exclusive. However, as the story points out, they are literally using Mormon doctrine. I mean, you could argue that black skin was the Lamanite curse Well, no, that's reality. Like, that's what the Book of Mormon literally says. So you cannot argue that, actually. But they are using that to fuel their racism. And that's pretty cut and dry to me that there are things about Mormon doctrine, culture, theology that are helping people or allowing or enabling people to be racist. And that's not a good thing. Okay, Where do I start? My husband and I left the church two years ago. A few weeks before we decided to officially leave, I wore a tank to work outside in the hot August sun. My mother-in-law saw me and confronted me and asked me if I was done wearing garments. I told her I wasn't and it was hot outside and I was doing yard work. And she responded with, you don't want to be the reason your family isn't together forever. I didn't wear them once. Definitely got the ball rolling more for us to actually leave. My brother-in-law told us a few weeks ago that after that incident, my mother-in-law called a family meeting without us there about me not wearing my garments. All of my husband's four siblings and their spouses. A family meeting about my underwear. How cringe. Cringe is right. There's this thing that happens, I think, in Mormon culture too with this like family council about one individual's choice to wear garments or not, where it feels like, you know, we're taught that salvation is, ooh, what's the quote? There's that quote where it's like salvation is something about you can't get there alone or it's like a group effort or something along those lines, which is really complicated and manipulative because it makes people feel responsible for the choices of others and it makes people feel emboldened to say things to other people about their choices and to gather as family members to kind of discuss you know how can we help this person this person isn't wearing their garments like this is an us problem when it's really not it's not a you problem if someone has chosen to take off their garments It's not even a problem, actually. But if you do think it's a problem, that might be something that you need to deal with on your own. It is not something that needs to be addressed as a group. And I do think that there's kind of this mentality of, oh, it's our job to save this person, to teach this person. And that ends up just being really, really, really unhealthy. The irony of this too, as this person said, is like, do you think that's going to make me want to wear my garments now? Like, oh shit, my mother-in-law just said I'll never be with my family forever and shamed me and humiliated me. I guess I'll put on my garments. It's like, no, hello. That's almost always going to literally backfire. Almost always. Okay. Right after my husband and I had our first child, we stayed at my in-law's place for a week. We were in between moves, so we didn't have much choice. My mother-in-law came to me one day when no one else was there and said, I just want you to know that this is a hard time for husbands, meaning the six weeks of no sex postpartum, but there are other ways to please your husband. 
Yep, she told me to give her son hand jobs during the six weeks of no sex. It was so incredibly awkward, and I knew it came from the mindset that if we don't please our husbands sexually, they might be tempted to look at porn or do something else, quote, immoral. My husband and I still joke about it to this day, but it was actually a huge, inappropriate overstep of boundaries. Mother, mothers-in-law, mother-in-laws, mothers-in-law in general, you do not need to comment on your child's sex life to them or to their significant other. You don't need to do it. This mom just making sure her son was sexually taken care of. Yikes. My in-laws are about as crazy as they come. We get Sunday texts and calls making sure we're going to church. They send us scriptures and talks and anything church-related as often as possible. It's pretty crazy how deconstructing the church has opened my eyes on how hard it really is to leave the church. On top of this, the bishopric calls and texts to come, quote, see how things are going. I guarantee my in-laws have contacted them as well. I stopped going to church once in high school because of the pressure and overbearing acts my parents tried, and now my in-laws are trying the same shit. I just wonder if certain in-laws and just parents have forgotten what it feels like to be a grown adult. <laughs> like, it's this weird dynamic where... Yes, obviously in this case, the in-laws are older than their child and their child's spouse, but it's like they're still grown adults. Why do you think you can tell grown adults what to do and like get more people over there trying to tell them what to do? It just seems odd to me because it's like, would that work for you? What is making you think that this is going to achieve the outcome that you want or that it is in any way appropriate to be trying to dictate what grown adults do with their lives? Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, actually, which is a tendency for parents to look at their children and how their children live their lives as a reflection of themselves, right? Or at the very least, a reflection of their parenting. So it's like, oh, if my child turns out a certain way, if my child leaves the church, that says something about me as a parent and me as a person. And then they take it really hard and really personally. And I feel like that's something that my mom has done incredibly well is really differentiated her own personal identity from how her kids act and behave in the decisions that they make. And that has given me so much peace and freedom in knowing that I can live my life how I want to. And my mom is not going to interpret my actions as a direct reflection of her. But the funny thing with this is before I had my own kids, I would look at parents who did this kind of thing and think that's so absurd. That's so wrong. I still think that. But it is funny, having kids now, there will be moments when I'm taking care of my girls and I think, wow, I can see how easily in the amount of labor that childcare requires, in the amount of self that you give to your children, I can see how easily you would feel the sense of entitlement to how your kids then go on and live their lives. And it's given me kind of insight into why and how parents feel that way. But it's been something that I'm actively trying to, even now when my girls are so young, actively trying to work against and think against because what I want more than anything for my children is for them to feel the freedom to be who they want to be without feeling like I am going to be personally affected and my identity will be impacted by their life choices. There's my little parent soapbox of the day. Let's see. Sending this story in for my husband. His grandpa-in-law heard we were getting married in my non-Mormon aunt's backyard instead of the temple because the temple was closed for COVID. He texted us and said our wedding would be so much more special if we had it on the steps of the temple instead of at the home of non-believers. Ugh. We stuck with our decision and he informed us he wouldn't be attending. Okay, Gramps, this is cuckoo kachoo, as Tyson French would say. He taught me that little one and I love it. I think it's so funny. This is cuckoo kachoo. You are going to not go to your own granddaughter. Yes, because this is the granddaughter writing in. You are not going to go to your own granddaughter's wedding 
just because they're not getting married on the steps of the temple, which also, can you even get married on the steps of the temple? I don't even think that's allowed. So Gramps does not know what he's talking about here either. And what a shame. This whole thing is just such a shame. Also, dubbing anyone as non-believers as compared to believers. If you're calling people non-believers, you might be in uh, tricky territory. And if you're not wanting certain events to happen at non-believers' houses, check yourself. Check yourself, Grandpa. Next one. My in-laws refused to go on a boat ride or spend time at a lake together because their granddaughter, who was around 13 at the time, would be wearing a two-piece swimsuit. Mind you, my husband and I were there visiting from Houston, and we don't all get to be together except for once every several years. They would not come spend time with us and the whole extended family because she was going to be wearing a two-piece swimsuit. They literally didn't come, and my mother-in-law was almost in tears over the swimsuit choice. Not the fact they would be missing out on the one day we could see them, and they could see our kids who they barely get to see. Blows my mind. Blows my mind, too. The undue emphasis on modesty, which is particularly odd because literally how does that actually affect the experience of going out on the lake with the family? It doesn't. In no real way does it affect what that experience is going to be like for anybody there, except for maybe the 13-year-old because maybe she's more comfortable in her bikini. And to make such a statement and feel the need to like, draw this line in the sand about the two-piece swimsuit that you're willing to give up on precious time with your own family and this is the irony as well we have all discussed here on this podcast and as well we know if we are post-mormon but the irony that the church preaches family 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 and yet And yet some people interpret church doctrine to mean that if a bikini is being worn at a lake day that they should not attend. And I think this gets into a conversation about, quote, condoning behavior. And I feel like this is something that Mormons like to make a distinction between certain Mormons, where there's like a, oh, you can do what you want, sure, but I don't want to condone that behavior. And this feels like one of those instances where they felt like even being in the presence of this child wearing a two-piece swimsuit would be like condoning her choice to wear a two-piece swimsuit, which that choice alone, because it doesn't matter and shouldn't matter what a child is wearing, but just that idea of being in people's presence, loving them unconditionally, being seen as condoning certain people's lifestyles or behaviors gets really muddled really quickly because I think some people interpret it this way where they are unwilling to even engage with or be around people who are just simply living differently than they are. And the great irony here, really, really ironic, is that then oftentimes on the side of true believing Mormons, they cry well, we are being discriminated against or persecuted. You know, Mormons love to be victimized and persecuted, and we just want to be accepted for our beliefs. But yet, even if they are, quote, accepting other people's beliefs or lifestyles, behaviors, they're really not because they're not willing to actually offer people the space and the ability to be who they are and to live the way that they want to live. And in this case, they're obviously just wrong, point blank, period, the end. But this gets interesting when you're thinking about things like drinking alcohol, for example. And this is something that I've kind of been thinking about lately. Like if I'm out to dinner with my family, who is mostly active Mormons, I do not feel comfortable ordering alcohol at this point. And who's to say if that will change or what will happen in the future? This is all still relatively fresh, all things considered. However, I think that's something that I've been thinking about is right now I feel like I don't want to do that because I don't feel comfortable doing that. And also I just don't need to, like I don't care to enough to like rock the boat in that way. And I don't think my family would say anything to me, but I do think it would maybe make them uncomfortable Luckily, my family, even if they are uncomfortable, I think would just like 
whatever handle it themselves but I do think there's this interesting thing where we as post-Mormons like censor our behaviors or kind of put on a different front when we are around true believing Mormons because we are trying to not make them uncomfortable kind of for this reason right because we know that even if our parents whatever like they know we drink alcohol but they don't want us to do it around them or in front of them. And it's this weird, like, don't ask, don't tell, or like out of sight, out of mind dynamic that feels just weird that it's like okay to an extent until they actually have to like engage with it. But in reality, it doesn't actually affect them, you know? So I don't know. It gets it gets interesting. It gets kind of complicated in certain spheres because part of me too can see like if people don't want I don't know alcohol in their home that's totally their prerogative you know but if you're out to dinner and your family's all there or if like someone else is paying like there just becomes all these interesting dynamics about making sure the other people feel like respected and comfortable but you want to feel respected and comfortable too anyway no answers there but just definitely something that I think about as well in certain areas of my life. But yeah, moral of this story is that these grandparents are way off the mark by doing what they did. Also, what kind of message is that sending to this 13-year-old? Like, hopefully she didn't know the reason the grandparents didn't come, but to feel like your choice of clothing is that impactful on your grandparents that they don't want to be around you or your family that is so incredibly damaging and such a toxic message to send especially to a child next one recently my mother-in-law told us she believed we were swingers because nothing else makes sense about why we left the church (laughs) only thing that makes sense is we want to have sex with other people i have never been a swinger nor would i ever but also no judgment to those that are in the two years we've been out i've been pregnant and postpartum for one and a half years of that and i work full-time i barely have time for just my husband (laughs) when does she think we've been doing it (laughs) i always wonder that about swingers like who has the time who has the time if you are even if you're married without kids but especially with kids I'm like when are y'all finding the time to swing like we're just trying to carve out time to go on a two-hour date night over here but yes this is silly and frustrating it just goes to show that certain true believing Mormons I think have such a difficult time wrapping their mind around the fact that people find out the church isn't true or they find that the church is harmful or impacts them negatively and so they choose to step away like that that thought doesn't really compute right like it doesn't fit into the narrative of mormonism because the narrative is it's true so once you find out it's true and you live it you will be happy you will see the fruits of living it And you have to find ways to justify why people leave. And the easiest way is to say, well, they want to sin. And so they must have just wanted to have sex so badly with other people that they left because they're swingers. This is actually reminding me of something that's been on my mind because of a TikTok incident. The TikTok incident of the week. That should probably be a recurring segment because it often ends up being one regardless. But this week on TikTok, there was this Christian TikToker. He's evangelical, I believe. And he was doing a TikTok about why do people leave Christianity? And he said, ultimately, people only leave Christianity because they were never really a true Christian in the first place. And I like duetted his video and then he commented back and we were kind of going back and forth. Some Christian, ex-Christian drama, if you're interested, go check it out on my TikTok. But it had me thinking about what an insane logical fallacy, I'm sure there's a name for this type of fallacy, it is to say the only reason you would leave something is if you were never truly that thing in the first place. So it's like, oh, well, if you left Mormonism, you never were really converted. You were never really a true Mormon a true disciple because you left but it's like okay well then the only way you can know if someone's a true Christian or a true Mormon is if they never leave 
but if they never leave, then they've never left. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, wait, that doesn't make any sense because then anybody who leaves is thereby dubbed as not a true disciple, not truly converted. And I don't think this rhetoric actually is as prevalent, it seems, in like Mormonism as it seems to be in exvangelical in the exvangelical realm or people who just leave Christianity generally like more mainstream Christian denominations but I thought that was just such an interesting and diminishing thing to say to people who have left a religion or left Christianity just to say oh well of course you were never a true Christian then anyway because it's like no I was though and if the only evidence to you that I wasn't is because I left then there's something wrong with the logic behind how you are judging a true Christian or not. Going off this tangent, I think I learned my lesson about engaging with hardcore, dogmatic, evangelical Christians. They might be worse than Mormons, you guys, than like those type of Mormons. I've been shocked and dismayed by the things going on in my comments. <laughs> and it's interesting because as I've been deconstructing Mormonism, I feel like I've more stepped into this like this Christianity deconstruction and been deconstructing Christianity more generally. And I should do a whole episode about that too. But it's been interesting to see kind of how the system of Christianity like the umbrella above Mormonism, how it interacts with the Mormon thing, how it differs, how it's similar. And I've been seeing a lot more of that content on TikTok, either from people deconstructing from their Christian religions or from just Christians basically condemning the deconstructed Christians. Anyway, it's a whole thing and it's been really interesting. And it's actually led me to some interesting research on like the origins of Christianity and the differences between the mainstream Christian denominations and what separates them and what's similar about them. And it's just a whole interesting topic that I don't think I ever was fully immersed in until now. Yeah, it's just interesting to see how the puzzle piece of Mormonism fits into this kind of broader narrative and seeing that there's a lot of people deconstructing their religions that, again, are similar to Mormonism, but also different. And you got to love TikTok for that because it's just all there to see and to learn from people's experiences and to see how people are interacting with each other. Just a fascinating thing altogether. Also, I'm very curious from my listenership. I think I'll do a poll about this, but I'm curious how many Mormons who are deconstructed Mormons who are post-Mormons still identify as Christians, still believe in God. And I hope that you all know that you are warmly welcome here. It's kind of funny. I feel a little bit um, nervous. I don't know. Nervous is the wrong word. But it feels scary to admit that I don't identify as Christian anymore. And I think when I left Mormonism, a lot of people around me who were believing Mormons, their whole kind of thing was, okay, well, just still believe in Christ though and still believe in God and that felt really important to them even if I had stepped away from Mormonism and I know that for some post-Mormons who still identify as Christians that that's probably still a very important identity piece for you and I don't see anything wrong with that truly. I think there's definitely a certain type of dogmatic Christianity that I do take pretty massive issue with and I'm just kind of touching at the surface of these things. But I guess I just wanted to make note that obviously everyone is warmly welcome here who's, you know, happy to hear what we're talking about. Um, but I think it'd be really interesting to kind of talk about Mormons and post-Mormons and where they end up as far as general belief systems go and how many post-Mormons end up deconstructing Christianity versus staying within Christianity, et cetera, et cetera. So... That's a topic for another day, but yeah, let me know. I'll probably do a poll or something just to see. I would just be curious to see where everyone's at. Okay, I digress. Next story. 
We were living with our in-laws and it was going great. We had an awesome laundry system down. My mother-in-law would put the laundry in the wash and dryer and I would fold and put away. We moved there in the winter. This is important because I was only wearing garment-friendly clothes due to the freezing temperatures. We went on a vacation a few months in. There was warm weather and I was wearing shorts. When we got back, my mother-in-law would not wash the clothes that were, quote, immodest. She set them off to the side. As it started to warm up, the more shorts and tank tops were in the dirty clothes. She continued to put any that were not garment-friendly aside for me to wash on my own. Yes, we moved out by the end of summer. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is what I was talking about with the condoning thing, where it's like, I will not wash your tank tops and shorts. Like, I will not participate in the act of you wearing tank tops and shorts. Like, it's so silly and it's so honestly just immature and childish. I was actually talking to my mom about a friend of hers was saying that her son has left the church and he still lives at home. I think he's like moved back home or something. He's like early 20s. And this friend was telling my mom that she actually just recently bought her son a coffee machine of some sort and she was telling my mom like you know I can't believe that I bought my son a coffee machine that's not something I ever thought I would do but she was telling my mom she was like you know I just want him to know that we love him and he's gonna drink coffee anyway so I wanted him to be comfortable in our home I feel like I'm gonna cry whoa (laughs) She just wants him to be comfortable. And like, even if she doesn't agree with him drinking coffee and that's like not maybe what she would prefer him to do, I just think that that's such a huge gesture of love, of unconditional love that she's not only like drink your coffee, but I don't want to see it, but she like bought him a coffee machine because she knew that that's something that he likes to drink And she felt like that was just a way she could extend love and acceptance to him. And I think that's the exact opposite of this story of someone who is so unwilling to engage in anything that they see as wrong. And it's like, hey, mother-in-law, we don't need you to wear a tank top and shorts. We don't need you to drink coffee, you know, whatever it may be. But just really truly having to draw a line at like washing your own daughter-in-law's shorts is so silly and so unnecessary sorry I almost cried there that was kind of weird I think I'm about to start my period and god knows my hormones not that I need to justify being emotional I wish I was actually more I was just gonna say I wish I was more emotional and I just imagined like my mom and my husband my mom doesn't listen but if my husband was listening he'd be like you want to be more emotional (laughs) but I feel like I don't know I'm a very emotional person for sure but I don't really like cry at things like movies or books really I don't know I feel like I only really ever cry honestly to my husband and my mom so anyway not very common for me to be tearing up on the podcast, but there we are. Okay, this one's really sad and terrible. My husband's father blamed my miscarriage on not being active in the church. Word for word, quote, God is testing your faith when you get pregnant again, go to church every Sunday, pray and pay your tithing, and it won't happen again. Toxic beyond, not doctrinally supported. This is so insane too, because If she was in the church when she had a miscarriage, like if she was actively going to church and miscarried, the father-in-law would have been like, oh, God's trying to teach you something. The timing isn't right. God loves you and wants the best for you and your family. And that's why he allowed this to happen. It's just like you can't have all narratives. You can't have everything lead back to the same conclusion. It's just not real. And then to weaponize someone's, quote, inactivity and use it as a means to blame someone for something that is already so deeply devastating is really, really fucked up. Next one. 
One week after I got married, my mother-in-law asked me if I had orgasmed yet, then proceeded to tell me about how sacred and magical her wedding night was because of them being worthy and getting married in the temple. When I was finally able to escape the conversation, she gave my husband a book from Deseret Book with bookmarked pages on, quote, appropriately giving your wife an orgasm, how to have a Christ-centered sex life, etc. It's been nine years and I've yet to recover. Yeah. I would take a good long time to recover from that one. Can we talk about Christ-centered sex life? Mm, I don't want Christ-centered in my sex life. Never have, never will. And I'm not quite sure how that's gonna work. <laughs> I mean, I obviously know that like I've heard the rhetoric of the church of like sex is sacred and that kind of thing but christ-centered sex life i don't know like what the play on that one is but yeah bizarro also don't need to hear about how sacred and magical your mother-in-law's uh wedding night was don't need to hear about it i am a 28 year old never mormon my wife is an ex-mormon but hasn't come out to any family yet we got married last year and everyone in her family pretended to be supportive but we know they were secretly disappointed in her for not marrying a member and not getting married in the temple just recently her younger sister got married to a returned missionary in the temple at the wedding my father-in-law kept telling my wife's sister how he was proud of her for setting a good precedent for the family he also told my wife that she can still fix her mistake and get sealed in the temple no one in my wife's family sees our marriage as quote real it breaks my heart to see how these comments hurt her it's so fucked up yeah that's so icky not legitimizing someone's love marriage partnership because it's not in the temple is really fucked up as this person said and just this establishment of a hierarchy of like well your little sister married a return missionary and got married in the temple. So she's obviously setting a good example and literally just saying she's better than you. I also think, why do we assume as Mormons that Mormon people are inherently better people? And not even better people because they're Mormon, but just like better people. Like if my child one day came home and was like with a Mormon boy but he was just like a shitty dude, I would just be like, I'd rather you just find a great guy regardless. And obviously I get why Mormons don't feel that way because of like getting married in the temple, eternal family, blah, blah, blah. But it's so dehumanizing to think that someone is just a better person or to think that someone is a worse person just because they're not Mormon and therefore not like celebrate your child marrying a wonderful person just based on their status of mormon or not oh my gosh <laughs> this one my husband's grandpa came downstairs while we were playing ping pong and told us that we couldn't be downstairs alone until we were married and escorted me back up the stairs playing ping pong so when i was freshly home from my mission i actually lived at my grandparents house for a good i don't know i think it was from being home from my mission to getting married so like six months I just didn't want to pay rent I knew I would be dating Bentley anyway so I lived there while I was dating Bentley up until marriage and one day my grandpa was at home or he like walked in and Bentley and I were sitting on the couch and I'm pretty sure I maybe was like laying in Bentley's lap but I feel like it was even milder than that where we were like sitting together on the couch and maybe I had like my head on his shoulder or something and my grandpa walked in and we kind of were like a little awkward like just sat back up or something and as we were leaving which by the way we were on our way to literally go to the temple to do an endowment session and my grandpa was like wait a second Haley and he like pulled me aside and he was like yeah like I just really don't like what I saw back there. Like, you just need to be really careful. Like, I don't want that going on in my house. And I was like, Grandpa, we are about to go to the temple. And, like, we're good. And you're not my dad. And even if you were, I'm a grown adult. But, you know, I was living in his house for free. Not that that justifies it. But I was kind of just like, okay, sorry. And then off we went to our endowment session. But grandparents just shouldn't get involved at all like grandparents 
have no right to be like disciplining in any way, shape or form, in my humble opinion. Okay, last one. My husband is Brazilian and all of my in-laws still live in Brazil. They are super Mormon. My father-in-law was a bishop, mission president, and when he was bishop, he wouldn't let people bring Coke products into the church building. Woof. They're intense. My husband and I had our first kids this year, and she's the very first grandchild on both sides of the family. My in-laws are planning to come in December to visit and meet her. This is their only chance to see her as a baby because it's so expensive to travel and hard to get visas. After we told our in-laws that we left the church, my father-in-law is now refusing to come visit. He is literally going to miss out on his only chance to see the first and only grandchild as a baby because my husband and I are adults making our own decision that is best for our family. Fuck him and fuck a church that preaches about the importance of family and then tears families apart. This is absolutely devastating and I'm so sorry. Again, with the grandparents cutting themselves off from their own grandchildren. Like, they're the ones making the choice to do that. It's not their kids saying, hey, you're Mormon, we don't want you around our kids. It's them saying, we don't want to be around your kids because you are no longer a Mormon. It's so messed up. And it really is so antithetical to what I think should be at the core of any religion or faith, which is be good to people, be kind and loving unconditionally and supportive and put family first. This reminds me of a quote that was really helpful in my deconstruction, and I will attribute it on Instagram because I can't remember who said it, but they said, when I'm given the choice to choose between loving my neighbor or my religion, I will choose my neighbor every time. And that was so huge for me. And maybe I've quoted that already. So forgive me if I have. This is a classic example of someone choosing their religion over love. And what is religion about if not love? And that's where things get really, really hypocritical. Okay, I'm actually going to read one more. This one's funny. I worked at a salon doing waxes as an esthetician. My mother-in-law told me it was wrong for me to wax vaginas because God created our hair there for a reason. I wanted to tell her that her son really enjoyed my hairless vagina. (laughs) Man, some of these in-laws, like what are you worrying about and why, if that's your actual thinking, are you saying that kind of stuff? Hell yeah to a hairless vagina if that's what you want to do. And I really don't think God cares where or where not you have hair. (laughs) Maybe that's the moral of today's story. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for writing these in. There is plenty, plenty more stories. I think this will definitely be another one that we revisit because as we know, in-law stuff can be tricky to navigate already. And then post-Mormonism stuff can be tricky and you pair those two together and you've got an ultra tricky situation in some cases. So if you are going through it with in-law stuff, I'm sending love. I'm sending hope that things can get better. And I know a lot of times they can get better over time, but I also know sometimes it's a matter of setting a boundary and saying we are choosing to disengage from the situation until we can be treated with love and respect because post-Mormons deserve to be treated with love and respect and kindness. And, you know, you don't deserve to be told all the time that your choices are wrong and bad and nobody deserves that. So all that to say, I love you. I think you're beautiful and amazing. Whatever your beliefs are, whatever your lifestyle is, I know you're doing what's best for you. And I hope you have a wonderful week until we chat next time. Thanks for being here. Talk soon, everyone. Bye. G-I-R.